0: do grab a Bible. We're going to read um, from chapter 29 in the book of 1 Samuel, our penultimate uh, talk in this little series. Um, it's quite a long reading tonight. I'm going to read two chapters. It's good to read a big chunk. Uh, the whole chunk kind of fits together, so uh, have a slightly longer reading. But if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn up. If you have a church Bible, it's on page 301, 1 Samuel chapter 29 and chapter 30. 1 Samuel 29 The Philistines gathered all their forces to Aphek And Israel captured A camp by the spring of Jezreel As the Philistine rulers Marched with their units of hundreds and thousands David and his men Were marching at the rear with Achish The commanders of the Philistines asked What about these Hebrews? Achish replied Is this not David Who was an officer of King Saul of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, Send the man back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his father, his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? "'Isn't this the David they sung about in their dances? "'Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. "'So Achish called David and said to him, "'As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, "'and I would be pleased for you to serve with me in the army. "'From the day you came to me until today, "'I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. "'Now go back and go in peace.' Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done? asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Achish answered, I know that you have been pleasing in my eyes as the angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said he must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who has come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had captured the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and son and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters But David found strength In the Lord his God Then David said to Abithar the priest the son of Amalek, Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besaw Valley, where they stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs. And two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived. For he had not eaten any food. Or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him. Who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said. I am an Egyptian. The slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Ketherites. Some territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burn Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? And he answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock saying... This is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind in the Besaw Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers amongst David's followers said, Because they did not go with us, we will not share with them the plunder we've recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered us into our hands, the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down into battle. All shall share alike. David made this a statue and ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. David sent it to them, who were in Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, and Jatir, to those in Uruah, Siphimoth Eshetimoah, and Rakal; to those in the towns of the Jeharamelites and the Kenites, to those in Horma, Bo Ashkan, Athak, and Hebron. And to those in all the other places where he and his men had roamed.
1: Well, here we go. (laughs) These two chapters, chapter 29 and 30 of 1 Samuel. Let's have uh, a map up. I've titled these two chapters, The True Servant of the Lord as we continue the the 1 Samuel series. I feel I've been a part of it because I've been able to uh, listen uh, online to the series as you've had it over the last few weeks. Now, this map is of some help because it does cover a few episodes in 1 Samuel. So, for instance, it identifies Ziklag. You can see it there, bottom uh, left-hand corner, down uh, opposite the Dead Sea. Uh, That was David's base in the Negev, Philistine territory, of course. Also, the map identifies Bezor Brook, and therefore, around the brook, the Bezor Valley. And this is where uh, 200 of David's men were left to rest and look after the supplies, while 400 went on to continue the sortie. So that map is a useful for us. I, mean, I hope you found the 1 Samuel series useful. Uh, it's difficult working through a long book and uh, so so much material, so much historical narrative, but they're obviously very important lessons. And if we've been stretched by the series, um, we feel we might need to go back and restudy some of the chapters, then that would have been good in itself. In order to do justice to these chapters 29 and 30, I will need to identify some different strands which occur in the chapter. But they all come under the heading, the true servant of the Lord. We would all want to be that, I think, true servants of the Lord. Therefore, there will be material here which will be a help to us. If you think the main point of these two chapters is something different, I will very happily uh, listen afterwards as you explain to me where I've gone wrong. I remember my very first sermon, proper sermon. It was at an ancient church near Oxford and uh, I preached away as best as I could. And afterwards, uh, an elderly lady came up to me, we'll call her Mrs. Smith, and she said, "'My dear boy, you have a long way to go.'" (laughs) And uh, to be honest, I felt rather cast down by this. You know, I'd done my best, and uh, the, the vicar at the time was a man called Peter Ridley. And seeing that I was a bit upset by the comment, He came across to me and he said, oh, don't worry. Mrs. Smith often gets her words mixed up. And what she really meant to say was, my dear boy, you will go a long way. (laughs) Well, I do thank Peter for that comment, but I think Mrs. Smith knew exactly what she was saying. Well, we're going to just cover some preliminaries for a moment or two. Uh, Sherlock Holmes style, We're going to just consider the plot, the plunder and all that, and then the players who occur in our two chapters. Well, what is the plot or the storyline at this point in the scriptures? You will know that the Old Testament shapes itself around the promises of God. They're implicit in chapters 1 to 12 of Genesis, and then they're made explicit to Abraham in chapters 12, 15, and 17. And what we learn from those promises is that God is calling out a believing people who will live in his place of security, the promised land, and that he will be their protector, blessing them. Sometimes, if we want a quick way of explaining that Old Testament picture, we talk about God's people living in God's place under God's protection and I've always found that very helpful and what God has promised there in the early chapter of Genesis he will deliver and he uses the characters who occur in the Old Testament he uses the prophets and the priests and the kings Saul, David, Solomon he trains them And he uses them as his agents to bring about the things which he has promised. Going back, you know, Abraham is 2000 BC. Moses, 1500 BC. David, 1000 BC. So that's where we are now, 1000 BC. David has been uh, anointed king. That was back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 but he's not yet on the Israelite throne and you'll remember he's actually in exile, hounded by King Saul so much so that he seeks refuge with Israel's enemy he becomes part of the Philistine army in order to uh, keep away from Saul although he has a friend in that Philistine army called Achish Ziklag We saw it on the map. That was given to David, his families and his men so that they would have a base. And Achish was the one who granted him that safe base. So here we are in chapters 29 and 30 and so good to be able to spend time having them read in their entirety. David and his men are ejected from the Philistine army the Philistine commanders don't want him at the back of their army in case he decides to turn against them so he returns to Ziklag and of course he finds that his hometown has been raided by the Amalekites the very enemy which Saul failed to deal with in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel which you've already looked at so David mounts a counterattack. he wins he returns home there are no losses and he's able to distribute the plunder so that's the plot, that brings us back into the picture and if you've missed some of the series at least that's brought you up to date, a little bit of history and background but what about plunder and all that? Sometimes it's a bit confusing. In the Old Testament, the equation was very simple indeed. It was bold and clear. If you're winning battles, taking plunder, increasing the size of your flocks and your herds, then God is with you. It was really that simple. If you are losing the battle and you're having your things taken by other nations or tribes, that is a sign of God's displeasure on your unbelief. It's a very bold physical model. Acceptance or rejection, blessing or curse. Of course, by the end of the Old Testament, that whole physical way of speaking... About the kingdom of God. Is completely collapsed. Because the uh, Israelite nation doesn't exist at that point. It's virtually wiped out. They're not in the promised land. And they're utterly defeated by the other nations. And all that is collapsed. In order that the spiritual realities can be ushered in in the New Testament. But that's another sermon series where you hear about God's believing people being those who repent and believe, not those who are of Jewish birth. Where you hear about the promised land, the place of security, not being the land, but being in Christ. And when you hear about beating the Philistines and winning battles as being kept in the love of God. So when they're winning plunder, God is on their side. When they're losing it, it looks like a sign of displeasure. Well, the players, very simple. David. I wonder if it's crossed your mind why these two chapters are here. Chapter 29 and 30. You see, last time when you were in chapter 8, the mighty are fallen. Saul is fearful, is in despair. He is being rejected. What would most naturally follow on from chapter 28? Well, chapter 31, which you're going to do in two weeks' time. And that is the final demise of Saul. He's going down and down and down. It's a downward spiral. And in chapter 31, Saul goes. He leaves the story completely. He dies. So why these two chapters? Why not just move on from... Uh, uh, 28 straight to 31. Why does the author of 1 Samuel, why does God, as he has the scriptures written for us, put in these two chapters 29 and 30? Well, consider for a moment. The downfall of Saul might mean the end of God fulfilling his promises. He was using Saul as the new king, but that plan didn't work. Does that mean that everything has failed? Saul fails, but God's promises never fail. And he's already putting in place David, who will be God's man for the next stage. Whatever God promises, he will fulfill. And the failure of a man or a community, or a church, will not affect his promises. Akish, we've also met. Uh, We know that he is in some ways a friend of God. And then there's the Lord God himself, who appears, as it were, in the background, preparing David for 2 Samuel. I don't know whether you have a series planned on that. And also the Lord God teaching us through David... What it is like to be the King of Kings. So I've got three headings for you this evening. We've done our preliminaries and the three headings are all about the true servant of the Lord. And the headings are surprising recognition of David, strong resolve, and then thirdly, grace and gratitude. Let's look at the first one. Surprising recognition. Akish could find no fault with David. In chapter 29, verse three, and right at the end, I have found no fault in him. And so David is given a top reference. In verse nine, uh, Akish refers to him as someone pleasing as an angel of God, and of course we all know that the word angel only means messenger. So there is David in Philistine territory still being a messenger of God, and Akish recognised the reality of David's relationship with God and that he was, in fact, a messenger sent from God. And then in uh, verse 6, Akish praises David's loyalty. He is indeed a reliable soldier. As surely as the Lord lives, verse 6, you have been reliable and I will be pleased to have you serve me. So he's getting a very good write-up. He is being recognized as the true servant of the Lord. Also in verse 8, When David cries, why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord and king? Which general wouldn't like to have somebody in the army like that? David is very keen. He's a risk taker. He wants to be there at the front of the battle. He is God's man and he's prepared to work for that. Well, it's A-level results on Thursday for those perhaps who have teenage children or grandchildren, a horrible time as they wait. As far as David is concerned, from Akash it's three A-stars. And it's a surprising recognition. He's God's messenger, he's reliable, he's a fighter who wants to do God's work. Rather like that lovely statement in the Acts of the Apostles, written about Paul and Barnabas, These men risked their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And David was like that. It's a great picture of the true servant. Now, I call it surprising recognition because Achish is, of course, king of Gath. Gath was one of the five principal Philistine cities of that region. It's the city where Goliath Came from? It is the unbelieving opposition. And here the unbelieving opposition, Akash, surprisingly recognizes David. David, God's anointed, recognized and affirmed by the outsider. It's a very powerful testimony when that happens. When someone who is outside of the fellowship, recognizes the true servanthood of somebody who comes from the fellowship we can cross in our thinking to the new testament and hear the words of mark 15:39. the roman centurion who said surely this man was the son of god that was very surprising recognition as well The Lord, the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will be recognized. One day he will be recognized by all and every knee will bow. But how much better if now we can recognize voluntarily what he is like. I was a Church of England curate uh, with Juliet when we were first married at All Saints Crowborough, in East Sussex Cobra uh, is on the, uh, the commuter line into London and almost all the men uh, commuted uh, into London and I knew someone called uh, Simon and he was intrigued, I think is the word by Christianity and uh, I wanted to uh, help his uh, questioning and his uh, investigation. And I said to him, Simon, we can meet. We can have some discussions together. We can uh, read the Bible together. And we can uh, together build up a picture of what it means to be a Christian believer. But before we start, I have a question for you. If you see, if you recognize the true servant of the Lord, that Jesus really is the Saviour and the Lord, will you repent and believe? And he answered, no. Of course, that's very sad. I said, why not? He said, well, I don't want to live God's way, but I am intrigued by you Christians. Well, would it not have been so much better if he had voluntarily Recognized who Jesus was. One day he will. And that will not be such a good day for him. Well, it's a great picture in 1 Samuel 29 of uh, David. And of course it's an example to us. David had that real relationship with God so he could be a messenger. He was consistent. He was a reliable soldier. And he was also bold in living for God. He was prepared to take risks. And if we can be like that, then it can often trigger belief in someone else leading to salvation. I was in a village, not called Ziklag, but called Zalazig. And this was in the mountains of Romania. And uh, there was a young woman I was talking to, called Amelia she had been a member of a small Christian (coughs) fellowship for a a while and I asked her to tell me her story she said well I used to live in a neighboring valley and I heard of this Christian group and I wanted to travel across and meet with them so I did that I came into the village I managed to get a job in the village shop and then, when I felt brave enough one day, I went to this small group of Christian believers. In Romania, they are called repentance. That's the name which is used to mark out true Christian believers. The ones who are Bible Christians. And it's not meant as a term of endearment. The repentance are those who spoil your life and mess up your community. Anyway, she went to it. She heard people pray and pray to an unseen God, but with real reality. The relationship with this unseen God was clearly there. She watched them consistently care for one another. She watched some of those people risk their livelihood and their job because they were Christian believers. And all that made a tremendous impact on her. Just like David was making an impact in our chapter 29. And she became a Christian believer, a repentant. Immediately that happened. She lost her job in the village shop. She was thrown out of the flat where she was staying. And she was in a terrible situation. What had been a moment of wonderful joy in coming to know the Lord Jesus in that beautiful community of believers then became a nightmare. Her whole life fell apart. Well, something nice happened. Uh, One of the uh, couples in the church was able to give her a room and look after her and share their food with her. Uh, This couple had a son who was away at the time working uh, in Russia and he came home. And one evening, the four of them were there, and I can imagine uh, Amelia sitting opposite the son on the other side of the table. And uh, they started to exchange glances, and after some little while, uh, love blossomed, and uh, those two married. And when I was there, Amelia allowed me to hold her little daughter of that marriage, and it was beautiful to see that. You see, David showed the true qualities of the servant of the Lord. That church community in Zalazig showed the true qualities of servants of the Lord. And that is what makes a difference in this world. Let's move on to our next heading. I said there were three. Surprising recognition, strong resolve. This is David in the face of unexpected disaster. 30 verse three is when he comes back home and he finds that his home has been destroyed by fire and his wives and sons and daughters taken captive. That's one exclamation mark. Two goes on the next verse. Uh, he wants to do something about it, but he has opposition from his own men in verse six. They talk of stoning him because they think he is in some way responsible For the disaster. And then when he sets off in pursuit. In verse 10. 200 of the men can't make the pace. So he thought he had 600 men with him. And he loses 200. At the ravine. So. This is a very unhappy. Set of problems. For David. Yet he shows. Strong resolve. In the face of those things. I don't know how life is with you at the moment, but disaster can strike. We can face opposition at work or in our families. We can certainly go through periods where circumstances are very uncertain. Where did David get his resolve from in order to work through those difficulties? It wasn't just a moment of bravado. He summoned up the courage and off he went and then after he'd used it up he didn't have any more left that wasn't so with David his resolve came from his convictions just listen to these God had given them Zalazig not Zalazig, uh, Ziglag. <laughs> just the familiarity of the two words God had given them that base not Akish. they took that as being a gift from God God had given him his family. And his possessions. And therefore they were precious. Uh, God had given him a work to do. Therefore he wanted to get on with it. You see his bravery. His resolve. Came from the fact that he had strong convictions. About what God had given. And when we face times like that. Perhaps some sinking gripping fear which gets hold of us and we don't know the way forward we don't just summon up our own courage we go back and we think about what God has given the merciful God this is his world nothing happens in it by accident and he is in control And, of course, the resolve of David, seen in a most remarkable way in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. So David is really the type of Christ. Strong resolve based upon strong convictions. And then we have our third heading. I've called it grace and gratitude because this strand is here in our two chapters. And there's something which David takes account of. I've called it behind the scenes. There is somebody just drawing back the curtain. And behind the curtain, we know that something is happening. If you like, the front stage are chapters 29 and 30. But behind the curtain. What is going on behind the scenes? Very interesting to compare some of the verses in chapter 30 with other scriptures. See in chapter 30 and uh, verse 17, David fights from dusk until evening of the next day and none of them got away. He won his battle. The Lord God was with him. Well, yes, that is how the Lord God works. Daniel's prayer in chapter 2 and verse 21. God sets up kings and God disposes them. He is ultimately in control of all things. And behind the scenes, that is the truth that David understood. In chapter 30 and verse 23... Uh David uh, says that he has protected us and handed us handed over to us the forces that came against us. Yes, behind the scenes. Romans eight thirty-one. If God is for us, who can be against us? And in verse eighteen of chapter thirty, David is seeing behind the scenes. David, verse 18, recovered everything that the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Everything comes back to him. So behind the scenes, David is affirming Hebrews 13, verse 6, I will never fail you, nor forsake you. Wonderful to see how David falls back on that he's not just there going through the events of each day, and we never know what Monday morning is going to bring for us. When those things happen, he is reminding himself of behind the scenes, the way in which God is always at work. It's often hard to see that. It's often hard to see behind the scenes. And sometimes, God in his graciousness actually pulls the curtain right open and just lets us know that he is there to help us I don't think it's happened that many times in our lives but when it does happen it's very remarkable when I was chaplain at Mungton Coombe School I had a good salary our children were young we lived in a lovely house in a beautiful valley and those years were good And God gave them and we are always grateful for those years. When I left settled ministry and I began working in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, there was no salary. There was no Church of England house provided. There was no pension. Everything was very different. More vulnerable, not knowing what the future would hold. And there was a little period where we were really up against it. Things were very, very tough financially. We were dealing with a lot of issues. And then another bill comes. And another bill. And you just wonder, where are you going to go through this? And I remember that moment of uh, near despair one evening. Thinking, what will tomorrow hold? And I wanted God to draw back the curtain. And just give me some indication that these truths, that he will never fail us or forsake us, are really there. When I went down in the morning uh, and saw what post had come, there was a little package on the front doormat. And I opened it, and inside was 1,000 pounds. Never happened to me before, never happened since. It was a moment of uh, real despair, and God said, here you are. I draw back the curtain. I show you how much you are loved. And one of the most beautiful things about that gift is there wasn't just a thousand pounds. There was a bar of chocolate. And I thought to myself, that is just a lovely little extra. I don't know who put the money there, how it got there, but it really was God showing us that behind the scenes, he is always at work. It's grace and gratitude of course we can't just be the receivers of these things so we have a final slide as Christ is to us in all that he gives us that is how David responds so Christ is the model and in the New Testament he accepts all people and he welcomes them And he gives to them his life and the sacrifice of his death. And when David responds to what God does in chapter 29 and 30, it's exactly the two things which he gives back to God. He wants to respond to the grace of God and he shows his gratitude by greeting and by giving. Isn't that a remarkable little Uh, detail you see when some of his men said we don't want these men who did not fight with us the 200 who stayed back in the ravine we don't want them to have the plunder it's David who goes up to them and greets them and said we will treat them all the same and it's David who makes sure that they get a share of the plunder and not only them but also others in the tribes of Judah See, David has been greeted by God, he has received from God, and so his response is going to be to do exactly the same. Karl Barth was probably the most formidable theologian of the last century. After the Second World War, he was coming to this country by plane, and he was going to be interviewed And in those days, the uh, uh, commentary of uh, theologians was as important as the uh, political pundits of today. And when he landed, a question was put to him. What one thing have you to say to the Western world? And this great theologian replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He also went on to say this, the heart of Christian doctrine is grace. The heart of Christian living is gratitude. Brilliant summary of our two chapters here, 29 and 30. God is graceful in helping David have a strong resolve and deal with those problems. And then David responds, the true servant of the Lord, by showing gratitude to those around him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word and that you have spoken to us. We do pray that you would give us hearts to humbly accept it and live by it. Help us to be those who are true servants of the Lord, that we live a real relationship in front of an unbelieving world, that we're reliable and consistent in the way that we speak for you and live for you, and that we're bold, risk-takers, ready to do your work, Please help us in this coming week. We uh, look forward to tomorrow, that we can be your servants, that you have delayed your return so that we can continue to serve you. But we've no idea what the day will bring. And so we pray that your scriptures would ring in our minds and our hearts as we seek to live for you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.